book of Galatians chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. When you got it, say so. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your word that sets us free, God. We thank you because this morning you have reminded us as we have worshipped, Lord God, that death could not hold you down, my God. As we worship, Lord God, we realize that death holds everyone down, Lord God. We realize that you conquered death, Lord God. And we, because of your ability to conquer, Lord God, stand as victors, my God, as, as victorious children, my God. And we are grateful for that, my Lord. And this morning, God, as we begin in this series, Lord God, through the book of Galatians, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, my God. I pray, Lord God, that you would illuminate our hearts, Lord God, that you would grant us repentance where necessary, that you would empower us to rejoice, Lord God, that you would overflow our joy in the realities of the gospel, Lord God. We thank you so much, God. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying and that you would give us the will and the desire, Lord God, not to simply be hearers of your word, but doers of your word, God. Father, we honor you today, and we give you praise, and we give you glory in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We could turn up those lights in the back a little bit, so that way the people in the back have some lighting back there. Thank you. We're going to be going through the book of Galatians for the next few weeks. Um, this is a very important book in the Word of God. Every book in the Bible is important. Amen. I won't say that this is my favorite book, but I will say this is my favorite book right now. Amen. This is where, where I'm enjoying to be in the book of Galatians. I've, I, I think last year I told you that we were going to go through a series here. I probably read through the book of Galatians at least three times. And that's not saying much because it's only six chapters. But nonetheless, when I read it, I really look at what the truth of the gospel is saying. And it's really, really encouraging for us. And my prayer is that as the beginning of this year starts, that our hearts would really be overwhelmed by the fullness of the truth of the gospel and our liberty that we have in Jesus. The title of this series is liberated for life and few books in the new testament had more influence in the shaping of the reformation's rediscovery of salvation by faith alone now, this is why this book becomes so important there was a man by the name of martin luther and he is who is called the great reformer and martin luther was a priest within the catholic church or studying to be and he was a student of the word he was teaching the bible and catechisms and things like that and as he was studying he came to a realization that we were supposed to live by faith alone. 
And what happened was there was a big, you know, a big, I'll get into it a little bit more next week, but there was this big debate and, you know, conversation that happened. And Martin Luther realized that it wasn't about works. It wasn't about all of these other things that saved us. It was faith alone and Christ alone. And so this book, he literally, seriously, it was so important to him. He used to call it by his wife's name because he said, I'm wedded to it. Amen. I'm just saying, he was, I mean, he was serious, like, you know, I, he was like, if this was my, my, you know, if it would have been me, it would have been like, this is Elaine, because I'm wedded to this book, hello. He, he had a serious, because his life was changed so powerfully by the truth of the freedom that we have in Jesus. And so, in this series, Liberated for Life, it is my hope that we will come away with the understanding that we cannot know experience or possess the abundant life that Jesus came for us to have apart from us being freed from the things that Jesus died for. Let me say that again. I hope that we come away with the understanding that we cannot know, we cannot experience, and we cannot possess the abundant life Jesus says that the thief comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he said in the book of John. And he said, but I have come that you may have life and have life abundantly. And many times when we think of abundant life, I shared this last week a little bit. When we think of abundant life, we begin to think of a life that we got every single thing that we wanted, that every desire that we have we get, that everything on our bucket list we've experienced. I was talking yesterday with Lewis after church, and he was sharing with me something that he shared with someone, and I I won't get into the full details of it, but he was saying, you know, I I thought that this person should wait to get married until they experience a lot of stuff, right? Because once you get married, it's different. It's real life. Hello. You have children, it's real life. There's no trip to Italy. Hello. Until the kids leave, right? I'm just saying, I'm a, you know, because you can have aspirations and stuff, but then you realize that's four to that side of the world. That's a lot of money. Hello. Or five or six, you know, if you're Pastor Chad, how many children you have? Four, right? Four? It's going to be four, 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 four in March. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's, woo, that's six people, glory to God. So they're going to go to Italy, but it's going to be later, amen? Or, or it's, and, and so the, the, the thing about it is that, you know, we think, when we think of abundant life, we're like abundant, we think that word abundant, and we're like everything and all of this stuff. But what Jesus wanted to do is that what, he didn't come here to give us everything we wanted. He came us to give us what we needed. And the real life that we have in God is not a life that says, well, I have all of these things because of everything that I've got. It is a life that says, I have all of these things because of who I have. And so what happens is life becomes more rich because of who we have, not because of what we have. Are you understanding what I'm saying? See, because our issue is, this comes back to the issue of worship. Because what happens is, when I begin to worship Jesus with the things that I have, guess what happens? I begin to find more of that satisfaction, more of that peace in Him. And the other way when it happens, when I am worshiping Him for the things that I get, guess what happens? I don't have that same joy that I have when I am worshiping Him with the things that I have. It's a different thing. And so when we look at this abundant life, Jesus came to give us abundant life. But you know what? You will never think that way if you're in bondage. You will never think that way. You will never experience the abundant life that God has for you when you are in bondage to the things of this world, as we'll talk about a little bit today. You will never be able to rejoice in who you have until you are really possessed completely in all of your heart and all of your soul by him. 
And so that's my prayer, is that we would come to that understanding. But listen, it's not simply to come to understand some facts as we go through these six chapters, that you take great notes and you figure out some good stuff, but it is that you would come to know the person of Jesus better because he is the one who liberates us. He is the one that sets us free. He is the one who delivers us. I thank God for my, for my salvation more and more every day. But I want to point something out to you. If you would have looked at my life, and I remember talking to Pastor Robert about this when I was a lot younger in the Lord. My life, statistically, I should be an abuser. I should be all kind of crazy stuff. My wife the other day, I love this woman so much because she cries when she thinks about how I used to be. And she looks at the way that I was, and she's like, I can't even picture you like that. And she's like, you know, it's amazing because if Jesus wouldn't came into your life, you would either be incarcerated, you would be in some type of sickness, or you would be dead. And so what I'm saying is, Jesus came and liberated my life by the power of the gospel, and that is what he wants to do. That is what he offers everyone who will bow their heart and bow their knee to him. That is what he offers to every person. He gives them this opportunity to be truly and fully, not partially, set free. That is what our freedom is. And so liberated for life, he liberates us for our life, for us to be able to live the way that we're supposed to live. Now, you'll notice that you don't have an outline with you today, and that is my fault. I got with Brother Lewis too late, and so he wasn't able to do this. But just write these down, three questions that you're going to go over and connect. My favorite question, our favorite question, what is the one thing that you got out of the message? That's very simple, easy question. One thing that you got out of it, one thing that touched you, one thing that challenged you, one thing that changed you, something like that. That's the first question. The second question is, and you'll see where this question comes into play, is do you see the influences of this present evil age that we're going to discuss? So do you see the influences? This is a two-part question. Do you see the influences of this present evil age? And the second part of the question, to me, is much more important. It is how have you been influenced? So the first part of the question is, do you see the influences of this present evil age? And the second part of the question is, how have you been influenced? And the third and last question is this, is how will you live more for the glory of Jesus and less for the glory of yourself and this world? How will you live more for the glory of Jesus and less for the glory of this world? And specifically, what we're asking here, what I'm asking here is this. What will you allow the Lord to change in your heart? What will you allow him to change? What is it that he's going to speak to you and say, you know what? I can't keep living for this. I can't keep living this way any longer. So three questions. First one, what one thing did you get out of this message? The second question is, do you see the influences of this present evil age? And the second half of that question is, how have you been influenced? And the third question is, how will you live more for the glory of Jesus and less for the glory of yourself and this world? And specifically, what will you allow the Lord to change? Amen? And so, as we go through this series, we, 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 we want to look at the first thing is this. And I, I want to say this because I think that this is so important. And this is a side note. This is not really in, in, in part of the, the study in Galatians. But this should be something that you should apply. So if you're taking notes, you should write this down. Because this is very, very important when you study your Bible. And it is this. The context of the scriptures will lead us to the correct interpretation of the scriptures, which will lead us into the best application of the scriptures. Let me say that again. The context of the scriptures will lead us to the correct interpretation of the scriptures, which will lead us into the best application of the scriptures. (laughs) 
Okay. I'm, I'm going to say it again. The con- Slower. Can someone type this? I'm just kidding. The context of the scriptures will lead us to the correct interpretation of the scriptures, which will lead us into the best application of the scriptures. Got it? One more again? One more again. We'll do one more again. Let's do it again. Let, it's too fast, really? The context of the scriptures will lead us to the correct interpretation of the scriptures. Are y'all good so far? Amen. Which will lead us into the best application of the scriptures. Amen. Glory to God. That should be quoted all over Facebook. I worked so hard for that. All right. So hook a brother up. Be like, boom, boom, boom. Bishop, this is the one right here. He said it 19 times in church today. I'm just kidding. The reason why this is so important, this is, this, this is why this is so important to us. Because the way we study the Bible will determine how we are going to live out the truth of scriptures. And what happens is a lot of us, and I don't mean to offend anyone if this is the way that you read your Bible, but a lot of us play what I call Bible roulette. And what it is is that we sit there and we go to our Bible and we're like, boom. Right here. Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and you're not even an Israelite, and you're like, that's for me. Hold on a second. Okay? That is not the way that we're supposed to apply the Scripture. Now, listen, can God speak to you like that? Absolutely. He can, he can speak to you like that, and I'm not going to belittle God. But what I am going to say is that that should not be the norm of your Bible study. Amen? And and so what happens is we have to look at the Bible in its context. We have to look at how the scriptures were written contextually because that is going to help us to understand what the author, the Holy Spirit, who is the author, what the author meant in that particular portion of scripture. And then what will happen is we should then be able to get the best application. And how is it that we apply the scriptures to our life? Here's the problem with us, okay, besides our Bible roulette issue. The other issue is this, is that when we go to our Bible to study it, we're looking for something to apply before we're looking at what it meant. That's backwards study of scripture. You have to know the context. You have to know what is being communicated before you can start applying stuff to your life. So it's important for us that we look at the context of the scripture and find out. And not just in Galatians. Anytime you go to your Bible, that's the reason why I always suggest a Bible reading plan. Amen, somebody. That is the reason why I always... Listen, you should be studying your Bible. There should be a certain way. If you're going to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation once a year, that's great. If you're going to read the Bible, you know, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, that's great. If you're going to study the Bible for the characters in the Bible, however it is you're studying, make sure that you are being a student of the Word of God. Amen? That you're not just sitting there playing games and that you're learning what the Scriptures teach so that way when you talk, you do not sound foolish. Because there's two things at stake here. Number one is your personal life. The second thing is your testimony. Because your personal life is really how you live out the gospel. Your testimony is your testimony of Jesus. And we sound foolish when we're trying to apply scriptures in ways that they don't apply. So it's important for us that we look at the context of the scripture. So with that being said, we're going to look at the author, the audience, and the intention of this letter of the book of Galatians. So I turned away from Galatians playing Bible roulette. Let me get back to my place. Amen. 
So, the book of Galatians chapter 1, it says this. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man. Now notice what he's saying. He's, he's pointing some things out. He's saying, Paul, an apostle. He is, he is pointing out his title. He's not pointing out his title because he's trying to make people respect him. He is trying to point out who he is in this gospel, who he is in the kingdom, who he is in the church. He's making it clear. And so there's obviously nothing wrong with making sure that people understand who you are. There's a problem when you do it with pride. But here's what happens. He says, not from men nor through men. And so what he's saying is, he's saying, I'm an apostle, not from men. In other words, I didn't like grow up in the church and then plant 19 churches and then men decided that I was going to be an apostle. That isn't what happened. He said it wasn't from men. He said and it wasn't through men either. It wasn't through them. Men weren't the ones who did it. It wasn't that way. He goes on to say, he said, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So his authority is not based on man, but it is based on who? It is based on God. It is based on Jesus. And then he goes on to say, to all the brethren who are with me, to the churches, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. So the first thing that we notice is that Paul points out he is an apostle, not by the will of men, but by the will of God, by the authorization of God. And then he communicates that he is not just under the authorization of God, but that he is also in communion, in relationship with other people. And so he's not just coming by himself saying, I'm the chief apostle. He is saying, I'm an apostle called by God, and I have a support system. Of, of, of recognized leaders who are with me. Are you with me here? This is what he's communicating. And so the Apostle Paul is obviously the one who wrote this book. He wrote it to who? He wrote it to the churches. Say churches. He didn't write it to a church. He wrote it to the churches in Galatia. In other words, he was writing to a group of churches. And when you look at there, there's arguments as to where he was writing. But if we let scripture interpret scripture, then we will notice that Paul was probably writing to the southern part of Galatia. And that is the area where he planted churches in the book of Acts. And we just went through this series last year, Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14. During his first missionary trip, he goes to the southern part of Galatia to a city by the name of Derby and Lystra, Iconium and Pisidian Antioch and that was his first missionary trip and that's when he planted these churches so common sense would say that he's writing to these churches he's writing to the churches that he planted in the beginning and the book was written around 49 BC I'm giving you all of this because today is the introduction under this uh, under this book and I don't want you to just jump into it I want you to understand where it's being written who it's being written to and so Galatians was written, why did he write this book? He wrote this book in response to false accusations against him as being a false apostle and preaching a false gospel by these people called Judaizers. And so the Judaizers, they were the ones who would follow Paul. And you remember through the book of Acts, and I'm glad we went through it, because you remember that everywhere he went, there was a group of people that were opposing him. Y'all remember that, amen? There was a group of people that was always there to contradict and to oppose him. These people seemed to follow him. And that's the way that the enemy is anyway, that while God is sowing good seed in your life, the enemy's coming trying to sow bad seed in your life. Where God is trying to bring liberty to your life, he's trying to bring bondage to your life. Where God is trying to bring clarity to your life, the enemy is trying to bring confusion to your life. And so what you can expect is when you experience a great blessing from the Lord, when you really are impacted by the word of God, you can expect right on the tail end of that, for something to come to try to divert you or to get you out of communion with God and to take you away from that blessing with which God wants to fill your life. One of the things that we that that, that we I talked about a while back, I was reading this, and, and 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 one of the things that we don't, you know, a lot of us don't do today is we don't read these guys called the Puritans. Say Puritans. 
They were, they, it means what it is, Puritans. These dudes were like serious, pure, I mean holy, righteous. Um, Sister D is the only one in this building that reads the Puritans, amen? I'm just kidding. Somebody else might read it. Raise your hand if you read the Puritans. Raise it, raise it up, raise it up. Okay, I'm, Sister Grace, Sister D. All right, I got two. Pastor Chad is doing like this, so he don't read it. He don't read it. He ain't, he ain't been delivered. I'm just saying. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. So what happens is these guys were, I mean, they, they, these were like, you know, really serious about holiness. And one of the things that they talk about when, when, in, in their writings, they talk about something that's called the Sabbath, right? And so we all know about this. And when I go through the Ten Commandments, I will do that at some point, And we'll talk about the Sabbath, but... What they called, you know, Sunday was their Sabbath. That was their day when they worship. And the one thing that they point out, and I, I wish I could quote them exactly, but the way that um, Sister Diaz explained it to me, and I shared this part when I talked about how do we receive from the Word of God. And the way that we receive from God's Word the best way is this, is we should go from our knees to the Word of God and from the Word of God to our knees. Because if we would approach the word of God this way, our hearts would be prepared to receive the manna from heaven. And then once we have received the manna from heaven, our hearts with the gospel would be solidified. But here's what happens to us. Some of us come to the word of God with an open heart, not necessarily a prepared heart, but an open heart, a heart that is open to receive and to hear from God. And then amen, and we may cry some tears, and things may happen, but... When we leave here, we go out of the congregation and we go talk about football. Is football unholy? No, Tebow, you know what I'm saying? I'm just kidding. He made it holy. I'm just I'm joking. I'm joking. It's football. Do not post that. Don't say that. Football is not unholy. Or we'll go and we'll talk about our favorite restaurant. Or we'll go talk about a movie. Or, you know, and, and so here's what happens to us. We leave the word of God. And you wonder why on Tuesday or Monday, we don't remember the message from Sunday. It's because we don't meditate on what God has been speaking to us. This is the reason why it's so important for us to take notes. It's so that way we can be reminded of these things. And so what should happen, and this is what the Puritans argue, is that our hearts, I mean, he, I, I, know, I know Sister D was like saying, you know, you, their, their heart was this. And listen, I am not saying you have to be like this, okay? What I am saying is you should consider their counsel because there is wisdom in it. And what happens is they were like, look, you should do nothing on the Sabbath day that doesn't have to do with worship and reverence and reflection on God. Because that was a day that you were supposed to be rejuvenated. And so this is what I encourage from all of us is to make sure that we don't forget about the teaching of Scripture that God brings us on Sundays. Amen? That we don't forget about the communications that God brings to our lives. That we really do consecrate and separate ourselves and our hearts unto the Lord. So that way we can be able to experience what it is that God wants us to experience. Not just Sunday, but throughout our weeks. God wants to fill our hearts. He wants to fill our lives. And so the first thing is, we see here, that Galatians was written in response to these false accusations. And so the first thing is, that's the reason why Paul starts off saying he's an apostle, is because he wants to make sure that these, that these churches that he has planted understand. See, because these Judaizers are people who had come in, right? And when they came in, I mean, they came in like they were the people of God. 
They came in because you know what? They were, they, they were living the law. They were living holy lives. They were doing all of these things. And so they were saying, listen, this guy wasn't sent. And they were even talking stuff like, you know, he wasn't even one of the, one of the apostles that walked with Jesus. They were saying stuff like that. And so he's communicating, listen, while I may not have walked with Jesus, I have a revelation from God. And God is the one that spoke to me. The second thing is, they began to talk about his gospel, and they were saying, and we'll get deeper into this, but they were saying, you know what, this gospel is a weak gospel, this is not the full gospel, this is not the whole truth, this is just part of the truth. And what you have to do is in order for you to be a Christian, this is what they were communicating, in order for you to be a Christian for real, in order for you to really have salvation, and in order for you to really have this eternal life that he's talking about, you have to become a proselyte. In other words, you have to become a Jew. That's what they were saying. You have to be someone who obeys and keeps the laws of God. You have to be someone who is committed to those things. And Paul is communicating to rebuke and refute those things. The book of Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. It's been called the the great directive of Christian liberty, the great charter of Christian liberty. And so the Magna Carta was a bill that was written for a king in England and talking about certain liberties that, that England was supposed to have and that they were supposed to have. And so people have compared this for our Christian liberty, that we would have this. And this is the key scripture. This is a scripture that we say we are going to memorize in these next few weeks. I'm going to help you out. I got a memory verse for you. Amen? Amen. This, this, this is what Galatians, if I could sum up all of Galatians, it would be in this. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Say it with me. Say, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's the key verse to the whole book of Galatians. It says everything. That's like the entire synopsis or summary of what the entire book of Galatians is about. And so what Paul does, as I said earlier, he, he, he establishes his, his apostolic credentials to enforce the authority upon which the gospel message he preached rested. Not in man, but in God. Understand this. Paul wasn't trying to establish himself for himself. He wasn't trying to. He was, he was trying to establish who he was for the people he was preaching and teaching. Say this with me. Say, our liberty, our liberty is, rooted is rooted in the work of Jesus on the cross. So in verse 3, he goes on to say this. He says, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So his prayer is for them to experience the grace of God, that grace that sanctifies, that grace that keeps them, and the peace that comes from God. And he goes on to say this, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so the first thing that Paul does, Paul's heart is for the church to be rooted in the gospel. Paul understands this, and this is what we have to understand, is that the root determines the fruit. This is the reality. The root determines the fruit. And so if the root is good, the fruit is going to be good. 
You see, what happens to us, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not like, you know, a person who likes planting trees and all that kind of stuff in no way, shape, or form. But what will happen is, if you see bad fruit, you start trying to fix the fruit other ways. I'm going to prune this and cut this. But the first thing you need to look at is you need to look at the root of the tree. If you remember looking in the gospel, Jesus gives a parable, and he talks about this tree that was in the middle of this vineyard, and this tree was not bearing fruit. And the Bible says that, you know, the landowner came and, 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 and was, you know, listening and cut this tree down and then the person that worked the land he said give it one more year and then the bible says that he does what that he goes in the king james version it says that he dung it and what that means is that he put fertilizer on it and that way the root system could be dealt with in this tree and it would be able to bear fruit and so what happens is paul is saying what's what's going on in our religious mindsets is that we think that if we just act right if we just dress right if we just talk the talk that we are going to be changed but it doesn't happen that way nothing goes on on the inside simply because there's something going on on the outside hello he was saying because that because this is what these judaizers were saying they were saying look all you have to do is do the things that the laws say don't worry about your faith in jesus don't worry about your trust in him you need to do these things in order for you to be right with god The first thing that Paul points out is he says this, that Jesus does what? Who gave himself for our sins. So the first thing is, this is the gospel, church. Jesus died for our sins. He dies to forgive us our sins. Jesus didn't die because it was a good thing to do. Are you hearing me? Jesus didn't die on the cross to give us an example on how we are supposed to die. That is not the reason ultimately why he died. Hello. He gives us a great example on the cross of how we should die, of how we should be selfless, of how we should put others before ourselves, of how we should not. Because He gives us a great example, but that is not why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross because we are sinners who need salvation. We are sinners who cannot save ourselves. And when we look at this that it says, and he gave himself, that's the substitutionary word. That's the word that there is an exchange being made. That is someone, Jesus, became a substitute for us. And so what he does is he gives himself as a ransom for us. You see, what happens is with the religious folks, they think that they're still dying to please God, not realizing that God came and died to please his own will. Are you hearing me? See, what happens is we think, well, you know what? I got to crucify my flesh because that is going to bring God. This, he's, he's going to be pleased with me. Hold on a second. Our vision in this church is to please God. But what does the Bible say in the book of Hebrews? The book of Hebrews 11, chapter 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You don't start pleasing him because of all of your great external works. It is because of your faith that these works will occur. Amen. But it is not just, well, I'm going to do all these works and then that's going to please him. That's the wrong way to look at it. The correct way is that that what, what pleases him is our faith in him and what he has done, what he did for us. So the first thing he says is that Jesus dies to forgive our sins. The second part that he says here says, who gave himself for our sins. And then the second part is that he might deliver us from this present evil age. 
And so the first thing is he gives himself as a substitute for us to for our sins. But then he doesn't leave us there and just forgive us of our sins. But he also wants to liberate us from this present evil age. And so the first thing that we need to look at here is what does he mean when, when he says to free, to, to, um, to, to deliver. That word deliver, it means to rescue, not to remove. Hello. He didn't come to remove us from this evil age. He came to rescue us from this evil age. What did he come to rescue us from in this evil age? What is it, what is it that he came to deliver us from in this evil age? Because obviously he talks about dying for our sins, but what does he do to deliver us in this present evil age? Well, the first thing is we need to look at this word evil. What does this word evil mean? And so when you look at the word evil, the word evil is not the Greek word kakos. But it is the word poneros, two different words for evil. In the latter word, poneros, the positive activity of evil comes out far, far more decidedly than in the former. The word kakos, that man may be content to perish in his own corruption. So if you were a kakos type of person, that just sounds crazy, but anyway, like a kaka, right? So and I was just going to say because y'all thought it, but anyway, if, you, if you're that kind of person, right? Like, you're okay dying all by yourself. You're okay just dying in your evil activity. You don't care about anyone else. But the person who is a Poneros evil man is not content unless he is corrupting others as well. You see, the Kakos person is okay. You know what? I'm evil. I'm wicked. I've done wrong. I'm okay dying like by myself. I, I don't want to influence anyone. I'm going to go ahead and do my thing by myself. That's one type of evil. But then there is a different type of evil that says, no, I'm not happy dying by myself. I need to take as many with me as I can. I need to influence as many people as I can. What he does, he draws them into the same destruction. Where does this mindset come from? Well, Satan is not called the Kakos one, but he is called the Poneros one. So this present evil age is described by Paul as poneros. The English word which best translates this Greek word is pernicious. This present evil age, therefore, is not content to perish in its own corruption, but seeks to drag all men with it down to its own inevitable destruction. The outstanding philosophy of religion of this present pernicious age is that acceptance with deity or acceptance with God is by means of the good works of the individual. Now listen, I don't know if you're listening to what I'm saying. I don't know if you're falling asleep, but hear, 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 hear this. The influence of this present evil age is not silent. In our days, we hear it loud and proud. We hear the communications that the way that we think is wrong. Are you hearing that? I'm just saying, am I the only one who hears these things? Am I the only one that hears, man, you know, this is, you know, that, that, that I'm somehow hateful, that I'm somehow, you know, a bigot, that I'm somehow all of these, is, I'm, I'm not the only one, right? I mean, I'm saying, that is something that we are hearing. Why is it that that is being communicated? Is it because they want to offend us? No, they want to conform us. Hello? They're not worried about offense. What they want to do is they want to challenge our way of thinking. Again, that's the reason why you need to know the context of the scriptures. And that way you can get the best interpretation of the scriptures and then have the right application of the scriptures. See, what happens is this influence is not satisfied with everybody just doing their own thing. They want everyone to conform to that same mindset. 
That's this present evil age in which we are living that the Bible says that Jesus came to do what? He came to deliver us. But here's the thing. you got to hear this. Listen listen to this. This is the mindset. It is that acceptance with deity or acceptance with God is by means of the good works of the individual. Listen, nobody wants to hear this, what I'm about to say. Good people will go to hell. Nobody wants to hear that. But how could that good person go to hell? Jesus died for that good person because they're not that good. They may do good things, but Jesus said no one is good but God. That's what Jesus said. Hello. And so that means that no matter what I'm doing that may seem good, my motive is not where it should be because if my motive is not to bring glory and honor to Jesus, my motive is wrong. My worship is misdirected. My good deed is misdirected. And so what happens is in our day, I've said this before, one of the biggest things that atheists and agnostics and people that don't want to be bound to any religion, people who are spiritual, what do they want to do? They want to go ahead and just be good and feel like, well, you know what? I'm not killing anyone. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not doing anything wrong. Why do I got to believe in Jesus? Why do I got to go to church? Why do I got to read the Bible? Why do I have to do all of this stuff? I'm not doing anything wrong. So I'm not doing anything wrong. And I'm doing a bunch of good stuff. I'm going to helping this one. I'm helping that one. And I give to that charity. And I do all of these good things. And so doesn't that make me right with God? Because the argument is, well, you know, if we're wrong, well, when we stand before God, it's like if all of our works are going to come before the Lord, and he's going to be like, well, you did all this good stuff. Come on in. It's not the way that God looks at it. That's the reason why Jesus died in our place. That's the reason why he died for our sin. But it was that he wanted to deliver us from the influence of this evil age. And so every system of religion except that in the Bible bases salvation upon the good works of the worshiper. Hello? Every religion is going to point you that you have to do good works. You have to do certain things. And you're never secure. You're never secure. The gospel gives us security. The gospel gives us hope that I'm not depending on myself. I'm not depending on my own righteousness. I'm not depending on my own good works. I'm not trying to, you know, balance the scale. You know, well, I've done all of this evil, so now i got to do all of this good to make things right. Hello? That is not what the gospel teaches, but that's what these Judaizers wanted these people to believe. That's what the word evil means. And so he came to deliver us, rescue, or set us free from this evil age. And so when we talk about this word age, what is this talking about? This word age, Trent, he is a, um, he, he's a theologian and he wrote this down. He defines age as this. All that floating mass of thought, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitutes a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere, which at every moment of our lives we inhale, again inevitably to exhale. 
And so what he says is when he's talking about this evil age, he's talking about all of the influence that is around us constantly, that we are constantly breathing in. And when I say breathe in and when he's saying breathe in, he's not talking about literally breathing in like you breathe in through your nose or whatever. He's talking about breathing in through your hearing, breathing in through your sight, breathing in through your participation. Listen, you can turn the TV off and if you leave your house, I mean, if you lock yourself inside of your house, you're not going to be influenced by anything. But here's what's going to happen you will die hello because you're gonna have to go out to get some food or something like that you're gonna have to do something but if you are being a person that is going outside of your house you are being influenced by this evil age and that is what Jesus came to liberate us from as well he didn't just come to die for our sins and just save us but he came to sanctify us He came to set us apart. He came to liberate our minds and our hearts. That way our thinking is not the thinking of this world. That way our aspirations are not the aspirations of this world. That way our desires are not the desires of this world. Listen to me for one moment. Whether this is your church, your first time here, tenth time here, however many times you've been here, if your aspirations look more like the desires of the world than they do the desires of the word of God, then you need to check your heart and you need to make sure that you repent before Almighty God because if you desire what this world desires, the Bible says you make yourself an enemy of God. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. We are called not to love this world because the love of the world means that we don't have the love of the Father in us. That's what your Bible teaches. But what we are taught when we deal with abundant life is you know what, I want this abundant life and I want all that the world has to offer. That shouldn't be our aspiration. That shouldn't be our goal. That shouldn't be our desire. Our desire should be to be more like Jesus. And sometimes to be more like Jesus, I won't even say sometimes, in order for us to be more like Jesus means that we are going to have to die to our fleshly desires. Listen, you can't be more like him and stay like you. I'm just saying. You cannot become more like him and stay like you. Someone's got to change and it's not going to be him. I'm just saying, he he don't have to change. We do to conform to him. And why does he die? He says in the last part of the verse, he says, according to the will of God, according to the will of our God and Father. And so Jesus dies to do what? He dies because he wants to set us free from sin. He dies to liberate us from the influence and the strongholds of this world. He dies to set us free. But he does this not because we are so great, but because he is so merciful. He does this in that way we can understand the will of God, which what is God's will? You want to know what God's will is? God's will is that you and I be free from sin. God's will is that we walk in freedom, that we live freely in him and his purposes. Not that we live free to sin, but that we live free from sin. See, these Judaizers come into, the, into, into these churches and they begin to communicate with the people and begin to tell them about all these things that they have to do in obeying the law. They have to be circumcised and they got to obey all of these things that the law tells them. And see, here's the desire of the enemy church that we need to be aware of. His desire is to do whatever he can to remove our desire for Jesus or our dependence upon Jesus. What he wants to do is to get us to where we want other things more than we want our Savior. 
He wants to get us to the place where we have other desires, other aspirations. It is not our greatest goal to know him. It is not our greatest goal to honor him. It is our greatest goal to have A, B, C, and D. And God wants us to have our greatest goal to be to know him and glorify him. That should be the greatest goal. The chief end of man should be to know our God and to serve him with all of our heart. That should be it. What does the enemy want us to do? He wants us to desire other things. And if he can't get us to desire other things, you know what he'll want us to do? Because for some of us, we're real religious. Hello. Right? We're real holy. We're like the Puritans on steroids. Hello. I'm just saying. Some of us, we're, we're, we're those really holy people. And so what Jesus would want us, or what the enemy would want us to do is, you know what? They're not, their desire is not going to change. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to help them change their dependence. So they're no longer going to depend on my grace. They're going to depend on their works. They're no longer going to depend on my freedom. They're going to try to free themselves. They're no longer going to depend on my finished work. They're going to try to add to my finished work. How do you add to something that's finished? Hello? I'm just saying, how do you add to something that's finished? You can't add to something that's finished. Anybody ever taken a test in school? Raise your hand if you ever took a test in school. Hello? Listen, once the test was finished, no matter what answer you remembered, no matter what you realized, man, I didn't answer that, guess what? It's finished. Once the red letters are on it that says you're great, it's a wrap. You can fill in, you can X out, you can do whatever, but it is finished. And it is the same thing with Jesus. It is finished. You and I are free because he said we are free. The red letter, the blood was shed for us. So we are free. Our freedom is in him. Our sanctification is in him. It is him that liberates us from sin. It is him that liberates us from this present world. It is him that keeps us free. It is him and him alone. And what the enemy wants us to do is think we can add to a finished work. We cannot. It is an offense to God to add to his work. Hello. And so we need to have this mindset and understand what the enemy's goal is. And so as going in line with my last question is, the ultimate goal of our heart should be to know him and bring glory for him. And so my question is, are we going to live more for his glory or for our own? And for you that are sitting there, who are you living for? Are you living for the glory of Jesus? If you're living for his glory, amen and praise God. If you're not living for his glory, God calls you to repentance today. God calls you to repentance today. He calls you to turn from your sin. He calls you to turn from your self-reliance. He calls you to turn from your selfishness unto his saving grace. That's what he calls you to. So I ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads, please. And as we sing and worship this morning, I'm, I'm going to pray. 